Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Please check out my podcasting course by using the discount code mentioned during this episode. On this episode, I follow up on that Pennsylvania gold story. I discuss the continuing freedom status of Adnan Syed. I get on my soapbox to explain the media problem. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including... That discount code for my podcasting course. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for October 9th, 2023. Hello, everyone. What is going on? It is Unfound Live for October 9th, 2023. Hope everybody is doing well out there. Hope you have had uh, a a good week since we last got together last Monday, despite uh, world events that have been happening over the last couple of days. Of course, I'm going to stay away from that because it's not really what we do here. But um, got a great, fantastic, spectacular, stupendous show for you tonight. Got a lot to cover. And I will do my best to try to get it in within the next two hours. And But I will have time uh, to answer any questions. In fact, just going down through the chat... Before I uh, came on to this microphone and camera tonight, I do see that a couple people have asked me some questions. So for those people, I will surely get to your questions. I think Charlotte has a question. Lori has a question for me. And uh, so I, I promise I will get to those questions. In addition, anybody else who is uh, tuning in right now live on this Monday night, I hope you will. Um, if you feel like asking me a question, I hope you will do so. Do not be afraid to ask the host a question, whether it has to do with unfound or missing persons or anything in true crime and especially anything outside of true crime. And um, as long as it's PG rated and it's not too personal, I will answer it. As you are watching tonight, please give this video a thumbs up, uh, this live show a thumbs up, or maybe if you're watching, that's of course for YouTube people, but if you are watching on Facebook, whether on the page or in the group, please do what you can there to uh, give this live show a nice review, um, if you can. 
And then for anybody who is listening to this as a podcast, come Tuesday, October 10th and onward, I hope whatever podcast app you are using, you will take some time out to, uh, on iTunes or wherever, write a nice review for this podcast. I think it's, you know, this is um kind of a one-of-a-kind podcast in that I do true crime news. I don't know how many podcasts there are out there that do what is essentially a, a true crime news show where they're looking at national or even international stories, reporting on them, and then uh, offering some commentary, some analysis. Of course, as long as that analysis comes from a point of experience and knowledge. I don't know how many shows out there do that in uh, approaching true crime as if it were any other kind of news, whether it had to do with sports or politics or whatever else. But that is what Unfound Live is. So uh, give this uh, podcast a nice review. Give this live show a nice review. Whatever you can do, please do it. Uh, I want to get to a couple things before I get into you know some of the things that have been going on with me since we last got together. I want to say uh, give a shout out to my little buddy Bentley, who is uh, assistant uh, of mine, uh, Carrie's grandson. I haven't given him a shout out in a while. So Bentley, I know you're out there somewhere giving a shout out. I hope you're doing well out there, kid. I hope you are doing well. And then this following little uh, laugh is for someone, you all know him, but I'm not going to mention his name because he is somewhat controversial. But uh, he does partake in the live show, and he wrote me a message this past week saying that um, the way that I have this video and everything set up now, it's uh, being that like the background is blurred and it's a little darker or whatever. Um, it reminds him of the Genesis video for Mama. You remember Phil Collins? Um, very, uh, creepy, creepy tune from Genesis. I think it came out in 1983 and he said that that's, and I'm a big fan of that song. It's a spectacular tune. And, uh, he said that me being here, the way it looks, it reminds of Phil Collins in that video where it's just his face, like right in the screen and everything's blacked out and everything. So I'm going to give Larry uh, a couple laughs, some, a little bit of, um, a couple Phil Collins laughs. Uh, like I promised I would. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Like Phil Collins does in that song. So there you go. If you're not a Genesis fan, or you maybe don't even know who the band Genesis is, you don't even know what I'm talking about, but maybe make some time, do at least a YouTube or Spotify uh, search for Mama, the song Mama by the group Genesis. And you will hear and or and see, I guess, maybe uh, what I am talking about. So let's see who's in here and um, we'll get to a, a few personal things. Then we'll get right into the meaty M-E-A-T-Y 
part of the show. Karen, what's going on? Good to see you. Everything 2023, good to see you. Nephew Charles, what's going on? Lori has a question for me that I'm going to come back to. Hello, Lori. How are you doing, Valerie? Um, Lisa, good to see you. Uh, rock on, Lisa. Charlotte, Macy, Mark. What's going on, Macy? Hello. Thank you, Ed and team work on the show. So, uh, you're very welcome. That's very nice of you to say, Macy. Uh, moving down, uh, Charlotte also has a question for me that I'm going to get to. And Jasmine and Paula, Barbara, Deborah, what's going on? Good to see you. Uh, Facebook user, Facebook user, Hazel. Uh, I saw that you, I think, commented on a YouTube, recent YouTube video. Thank you for that, Hazel. Kathy, there's Carrie. <laughs> hey, Carrie. There you go. You know, uh, I'm glad you're in here, Carrie, given that I gave a shout out to Bentley. Uh, there you go. Grant. Some new names in here. Jose, it's Julian. It's Jay's Amaze. What's going on, Jay's? Good to see you. Julian, I uh, remember Julian. He was a past guest on Unfound. Uh, Julian, really good to see you. I hope you're doing well. The Real from Australia, Jill. Uh, it's Jill's birthday today. If anybody, everybody wants to wish Jill a happy birthday. Charlene, I think I said last week. Uh, Charlene, one of my favorite female names. Uh, coming to us from Ireland. Uh, thank you, Facebook user. I don't know who you are, but thank you, Facebook user, for saying how nice, how good uh, the episode was from Friday. I thought Stephanie did a great um, job. Uh, what happened to Timothy Guy? That's a good question. I uh, might be uh, Timothy. Is that uh, you, uh, Timothy's father, recent guest? Uh, Bentley is doing great. Glad to hear it, Carrie. And uh, Guam, talking about Guam. Thank you for uh, hanging in there tonight, Sheree. Uh, thank you for moderating. No need to uh, apologize there, Sheree. Um, thank you for taking the time. Elisa loves Collins in Genesis. And um, Phil was the drummer before the singer. That's true. Um. Grant from the AK Valley. Love it. Yeah, I remember Grant. I remember. Yeah, Grant, it's been a while. Where you been? I remember uh, maybe you uh, tuned in earlier this year for the live show. It's good to see you again from the AK Valley. Always love. And if people don't know what the AK Valley is, that's the Allegheny Kiski Valley, which is kind of to the northeast or uh, of Pittsburgh, kind of the area where I'm from. Uh, Rockford's, uh, Giants are playing the, or whoever's playing the Packers, not the Giants. Is it the Giants? No, it's not the Giants, but, um, the Packers are playing tonight. Hello, Melody and CR. What's going on? Good to see Marcus. Good to see everybody. Good. Uh, fantastic. So I'm going to answer, uh, these questions, uh, right now. So I don't forget them, but, uh, anybody else who has any questions, Please uh, ask me, and I will answer them if I can. Lori asked me, uh, Ed, did you ever have facial hair? I did, um, but it has been years and years and years. I actually, when I was in high school, had a mustache. Don't even get me started. 
like maybe 10th grade or something, uh, 11th grade. Um, see, it wasn't all those years. It was at least, oh my, um, maybe 11th grade or senior year or something like that. I did have a mustache. And then for a time when I was in college, um, Lori, I had kind of that goatee thing going on. So this would have been 30 years ago. And what actually happened was some guys playing around um, chased me down and put lines that held me down. This is horrible. But... And I wasn't happy about it, by the way. But these are friends of mine. But this is what guys do, I guess. They held me down and actually shaved parts of it off. And so I was then forced to shave it all off. And I've never had facial hair since. So it's been 30 years. And uh, what uh, being, of course, that I do shave. And sometimes I... I always make sure to shave before I do any of these live shows or like the think tank or with Dr. Telesco or or anything. Um, Because, you know, my hair does have some gray in it, but it's still mostly my natural hair color. But I'm telling you, if I were to let my facial hair grow, it's pretty gray. Um, But back in the day before all of that, what was weird about my facial hair is that my hair on my head and my facial hair were different colors and uh, my facial hair when it would come in would be very very red and you can see it would come in like right here as I'm pointing at my ear um right here and down into my face it would be like dark red and then of course my head hair would be brown so that was kind of weird. In fact, I worked with a guy at, at Star Trek had the same issue. He was also like uh, ethnically, I guess, genealogically like Irish. And so he had like hair like mine. And he, when his hair, facial hair would come in, it would also be red like mine. He had the same thing kind of thing going on. And he he had facial hair that I did not. Like I said, I haven't had facial hair for like 30 years I shave quite regularly, especially before I appear on camera or I go to speak at schools or anything else. Even before I go to disc golf tournaments, I shave. Not every day, but probably at least every other day or every third day. So, yes, I did have facial hair at one time, but it has been like 30 years, like when I was in college. Ever since then... I uh, shave it all off, but you should also know I've never used a, um, like an electric razor. I always uh, do it by hand. Electric razors, at least for my facial hair, you know, kind of pulls it out. Uh, you know, and who likes the feeling of that? So I just regularly use a regular, I think I use like a Mach 3 razor or whatever it is, and I do it by hand. Fantastic question, Lori. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. And uh, I, I will be honest with you. I really don't understand this. Like, I don't know, the last 10 years, a lot of guys growing their facial hair out, these long beards and everything. I don't get that at all. But 
not that, you know, there was that, you remember that whole thing, like metrosexual thing from like the two thousands. I wasn't into that either, but just as on the opposite end, I don't get all this fascination with facial hair these days and long beards and, and stuff. You know, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what guys are doing, but yeah, 30 years ago. Yes. But since then, no. Um, Charlotte, you also have a question for me. Where is it? Uh, am I familiar with Aaron Stoner? I am. And yes, I do know that he did a lot on Stephen Kocher's case. Uh, I'm familiar with him. I've watched some things on his YouTube channel. I don't think maybe I have, maybe I have had some correspondence with him, Charlotte, but it has not been recently. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, Sheree, you know, if I did, I, I would have surely talked to you about it. Sheree, did, do you remember me ever talking to Aaron Stoner about anything? Of course, like I said, you would, Sheree, you would probably be the one to remember that. Cause I know that you also watch his channel. I, for some reason, I think I did, but like I said, it's been at least a couple years and I can't even remember if it happened. It's been a while, and I don't even remember what the topic was, Charlotte, but I am familiar with him. I know he does a lot of um, analysis of videos, like Stephen Coach. Of course, that would be very appropriate. I also know um, he's done a lot of analyzing the video from, like, Missy Beaver's murder. Uh, when I think of Aaron Stoner, that's what I think of. But really, overall, I'm not overtly familiar with his work. Certainly nothing that he's done recently but I am familiar with him, but that's nothing against him or you, you know me. I, I kind of mostly uh, just keep my eyes on my own work, but I do know that I, I do know given that I've also done a lot, you know, especially back in the day with Stephen Kocher's case, I, I am familiar that Aaron has also done a lot looking at that video and Stephen walking away or some people of course believe it wasn't Stephen, but you know, looking at all of that. And um, so I, I, I guess to answer, I am familiar and I do know that he did um, some things with Stephen's case. Yes, Charlotte, good question. Um, let's see, uh, I got a peekaboo. Peekaboo, what's going on? Uh, great name, love it. Um, sorry, I missed you before, uh, peekaboo. Um, let's see who else is in here. Um, Lisa says Rockford and going to chiefs and Raiders. That's not going to be much of a game. Lisa, I don't think you're welcome. Lori, um, Steelers got a win against the Ravens. Another crazy chapter. I know Kurt Marcus. I didn't watch it. It was not here on locally. I kind of followed it a little bit, just like on ESPN.com or whatever, following the score, but I was doing a lot of unfound work yesterday, but I saw some highlights. Yeah, it was crazy. Hello, Patty. What's going on? Uh, thank you. What are your thoughts on missing 411? Uh, is missing 411 my good buddy David Politi's channel? Is that what that is, Grant? Uh, just before uh, I answer to make sure. Um the red beard is definitely genetic. Um, nephew Charlie is uh, answering that. The red beard is definitely genetic. It certainly is, Charlie. It certainly is. 
uh, brother Brian at one time had the red beard. And I think, uh, does your facial hair uh, still come in as red or it used to or something? Yeah, we got we got those uh, ginger, a little bit of the ginger uh, genes in us. Um, not anything. I, lo- I love red hair on women. But I will be honest in telling you, I'm glad I'm not a redhead. Just saying. Uh, I could always wax it. Uh, that's funny, Hazel. Lori says, I like long beards. Okay, you go. Okay, then I guess everything's good for you these days. Um, Bowling is saying Duck Dynasty played a large role. Okay, thank you. Uh, In the the beer fed, I guess. That's one show I never uh, remembered. Um, Shri is saying that uh she Shri says that she does believe that I had some sort of correspondence with Aaron at one time and it did have to do with Stephen Kocher. Okay. I, I certainly after the show's over tonight, I could go back and look these specifically, but I really don't remember what we talked about regarding Stephen Kocher at all. I just don't if we talked, I don't remember what it was about. Um, yes, I, I've heard that he does Charlotte. Um, does thorough work San Fernando Valley. Is he from the San Fernando Valley? Interesting. Always good. To, uh, Peekaboo says your hair is just like my ex-husband, except he pulls back. I've never pulled my, uh, hair back. Uh, Grant says, yes, David Polites. Uh, Grant, I'm not a big fan of David Polites at all. Zero. Zero on a scale of one to 10, one being, I don't find his work compelling at all. And 10, it's the most compelling work ever. I would put him at a zero. Uh, there we go. Um, Kathy's uh, familiar with Aaron. Hello, Marty. Marty's getting in. Marty uh, must have been at a party or something. Good to see you, Marty. Everybody's saying hello uh, to Marty. I love a bit of the scruffy look. Peekaboo says... What no man bun, no band buns, Hazel either. Since my hair has grown long, it's always just hung like this. It's never been in a ponytail, never in a man bun, nothing. It's always been like this, and that's the way it will always be. Okay, now that I'm caught up with all the chat stuff, and we're already 20 minutes in, uh, just some few things. Uh, played some not very good disc golf. The first five baskets were horrible over Taylor this past week. And then the final 13 actually were pretty good, but I did not start off well at all. And it was quite embarrassing. Uh, last Tuesday, uh, my brother, Brian and I, uh, Charlie's, uh, uncle, my brother, the two of us went to the Rays game. We saw them lose to the Texas Rangers and, uh, but it was a great time. Uh, Brian and I had a fantastic time just hanging out going down there and the stadium and, and everything. Of course, there weren't many people there, but that's, um, I was thinking that was the first playoff game that I'd been to since like June or since, um, October of 1991, when I went to see the pirates play at three rivers. But Brian reminded me that he and I, and some other guys had gone to a playoff game, about 10 years ago when I first moved here. And he's right about that. So that's my first baseball playoff game in 10 years. And I'm not a big Rays fan. I I have to admit, I really don't care who wins, 
but surely had they gotten to the World Series, I would have liked to have gone and experienced that, but I guess I'll just have to wait till next year. Also, um, what I've been doing, I've been cleaning out this closet. I have a closet that is connected to my bathroom over in the master bedroom, which is like right over there. And I kind of took everything out of it over the past week and it was really a mess. And so I took everything out of it, threw some things out and rearranged everything in there. I can actually stand looking in that closet. Now it got to the point where I couldn't even look in. It was that bad. You've, we've all been there. I am sure you got some room or something going on. It's so messy. It's just gotten totally out of the control. Maybe you can think about maybe some of your children's rooms or something. You don't even look in there. This is what this closet was like. Finally took some time over the past week to take everything out of it, look over everything, throw some stuff out, put everything back in there. But I do now have to do the other same for the, the guest bedroom, which is over there where I used to do this show and record and everything else. That'll be my next job probably later this week. And then finally, uh, as far as stuff going on with me, um, I hope everybody got their Powerball ticket tonight. It's up to almost, what, $1.6 billion? $1.6 billion if you like it. Of course, you don't get all of that. Taxes are taken out. It depends if you go for the installments or you go for the lump sum. And in fact, my brother Brian and I, when we were, we were at the baseball game or while the driving down there, driving back, we and I actually had a very in-depth conversation about, about not just not really what we'd get or what we'd do with that money, but the analysis of do you take the lump sum or do you take the installment plan, the annuity over 30 years? It was a fascinating discussion, but this is not unusual. These are the kinds of conversations my brother Brian and I have when it's just the two of us in a car somewhere. <laughs> Again, these very deep discussions usually try to stay away from politics and religion, but anything else like really deep, this is what we do. Now, when I'm with my brother Michael, it's different. But with Brian, we usually get into some sort of very deep conversation like this, and it was really fascinating. He's more of an annuity guy. I'm more of a lump sum guy, so it's a pretty cool conversation. But uh, for purposes of Unfound, if you're wondering, well, Ed, what would you do if you won? Well, there's two big things that I would do regarding Unfound and missing persons, being that this has been, you know, has been my life for the last seven years, and I hope it can can continue to be uh, my life for the rest of my life. Is one, I would certainly set up some sort of um, national convention, start some sort of national convention, a get-together um, with, with a bunch of people, not like CrimeCon, but actually something that is not, of course, entertainment-based. But to have families come in and experience seminars um, you know, regarding missing persons, regarding trauma, you know, I would certainly set something like that it would almost be like a convention, but it would be different from crime con and it would be very educational. I'm not having any personalities or anybody like that come in. Nancy Grace isn't going to be there. Nothing like that, but I would come in 
I would bring in these families so they could get to know each other, network, um, really, really be able to talk to each other, get to know each other, being that they've all suffered the same pain in their lives and have some courses, some classes that they could attend, but also show them a good time. You know, wherever, maybe, you know, would I, you know, would this be done in Orlando? Would it be done being that I'm from Las Vegas and I have contacts there? You know, would it be in Las Vegas? I don't know, but it would be a combination of them coming in, experiencing this, them getting something out of it, and also showing them a good time. Maybe get them to go to, you know, a a Vegas show as a group or, or something. Or, you know, if they, if it were in Orlando, which of course is only a couple hours from me, maybe go to Disney World or whatever for the day or something like that in combination with, you know, seminars and things like that. I would certainly set that up. Of course, when you're winning $1.5 billion, even if you had to split it with somebody, say somebody else had the same numbers, you could certainly afford to make that happen once in a year, I think. So that would be, uh, that's certainly, and I've actually typed this all out. <laughs> if you don't know, I've actually thought long and hard about this. And uh, that would be certainly something that I would um, want to uh, put together. And then the other thing, and in fact, uh, maybe Sheree, maybe you even remember this, us uh, having this conversation uh, at least a few years ago. I would certainly set up some sort of real investigation agency for missing persons cases. Not like all these mostly idiot private investigators are out there, but something that was actually serious where um, there would be more than just people being licensed and in any particular state. This would be something where if people wanted to be a part of this that they would actually have to go through some training that would be overseen by myself from what I've learned over the last seven years or however long. And in that kind of situation, not just starting some, something like this where there are private investigators out there who are already licensed and they're going to come work for me and everything. I am not doing that because you know, my attitude toward that. Um, so those would be two things as far as focused on missing persons, disappearances, and solving them and, and educating people on them. Those are two certain things that I would do if I hit uh, like the crazy Powerball money that is on tap tonight. Now, of course, you know, and you should know, I only play when it gets to like insane dollars. Um. You know, I don't play when it's like 200 or 300 million or something. I actually wait until it like gets up above 500 million before I even start thinking about throwing $2 or $4 at it. So I uh, want, but sort of, I think, you know, I know the odds are crazy. And I know, you know, a lot of people who are financial people would say, well, you know, this is really something that's aimed at poor people, taking money for poor people and all that. I, I realize that. I really have fun with it. Anybody who follows me on Facebook, uh, knows that I make a lot of mega millions and Powerball jokes and things like that. 
And uh, I realize a lot of people, when it gets up to this amount, really do follow it. And uh, so I can't help but then write about it on my personal page on Facebook. But, of course, it depends. But like I said, uh, I only play when the, the, the number gets to, like, insane uh, amount of money. You know, looking at what it would be after the taxes and everything are taken out. So I've thought about this. I think any responsible person uh, should think about it. If you're playing, you should have a plan. And, uh, you know, if you're going to play, I realize everybody has the same odds. So you should have a plan. You know, just don't play and then, you know, figure out, well, if I hit it, I'll just figure it out after. Don't do that. If you're going to play and you, you know, and I realize the odds of winning are very, very low, but you got to have that plan in case you win because you won't have time. Your mind will just be racing. You'll be crazy and everything else. And you'll probably do a lot of stupid things. You need to take the time, take an hour and type something out in a word process, word processor, word or whatever document, type it out and make sure you follow that plan. If you win. All right. And so this is why I can talk about this because I've actually done it, which is not unusual for me because this is just kind of how the way I am. So if you're wondering how uh, Powerball money and unfound would intersect, those are the ways uh, that those two would come together. Um, uh, should I win? So there you go. Um, uh, Jay says, uh, Megan put Judy. Well, that's on the uh, Charlie project website. That is fantastic. Uh, Julian, that is fantastic. Thank you for telling me. Uh, Marty says, I haven't been to playoff baseball. Uh, Hazel says, oh, I hear you with the closet. So many clothes. Marty says, got to go with the lump sub. Go all in. That's my attitude. Speaking of playoff baseball. All right. Uh, Rockford's talking about playoff baseball. Uh, Carrie, you said the Bentley is doing fantastic. Good to hear it. If I ever win a big windfall, I would give half to start an organization. Families are missing. Good for you, Carrie. Good for you. Lisa, I've done the math on how much I would donate to unfound if I ever win big. Well, I'm rooting for you, Lisa. I'm rooting for me. And then after rooting for me, I'm rooting for everybody else. Uh, Charlie says, I do remember I'm rooting for you and me. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, everybody's talking baseball. I would love, uh, Marty says, I would love to see your dreams come true. It sounds like it could go a lot of good. I, I'd hope anybody, uh, that would win money like that would be out there doing a lot of good. I, I would hope. I don't know if that happens. Maybe they do a lot of things anonymously, but, um, and that's every right for them to do it that way. Uh, I would certainly hope. Marty, I see keep winning the win for life out of for a dollar or two, but I'd win $8 off the last Powerball. Good for you, Marty. It's better than nothing. Um, Charlotte is asking, which Judy is that? And I will tell you, uh, Charlotte, um, that is uh, Judy Brown, who went missing from New York City with Richard Riesenberg. You remember he was in like uh, – he had been a killer. He murdered his uh, wife and child, 
And he was like in an outpatient program where he met Judy and they ran off together. And Julian, who is Jay's amazing here, was the guest. Um, that was from earlier this year, Charlotte. So there you go. All right, let's get to the agenda tonight, being that we're now a half hour into this, although I have talked about some true crime stuff regarding Unfound and everything else. Um, I want to start here. You're, if you're watching this, you're probably looking at the um, what I have posted here. What do they call this? As the, um, I forget what these things are called. Oh my gosh, the overlay. You're probably wondering, what are you talking about with this overlay? What is this code? Well, I'm going to tell you about it right now. Um, from now until noon on Friday Eastern time. I've talked about it's kind of the new and improved how to podcast better than anyone. I've told you about this teachable course that I have put together. Uh, the course itself is about five hours. There's 16 different levels or different lessons, and they total about five hours total. And also, though, I have created a coaching course where I make myself available to anybody who really it's meant for somebody who already has a podcast, who's doing it maybe is a little stumped or maybe come a little complacent, maybe number their download numbers or whatever are going in the wrong direction. Maybe they're getting frustrated or whatever else. It's really who the coaching K, uh, class is for. But I suppose if it's somebody who is just starting out for the first time, I suppose we can make that work as well. So these are both on how to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com forward slash courses. Once again, I typed this actually up right at the top of the chat tonight. Uh, if you'd like to go up to the top of the chat and uh, view it, it's how to podcast better than anyone dot teachable.com forward slash courses. Well, from now till Friday, so not quite, what is that? One, two, three, not quite uh, four days from now. So Friday, October, we have a Friday the 13th coming up, by the way. October 13th at noon Eastern time. From now until then, if you go to how to podcast better than anyone dot teachable.com forward slash courses. And whether you pick the coaching session where you get to talk to me for an hour, or if you take, just choose to take the class on your own, which is about five hours. If you use the code that is on the screen right now, it is uh, capital U, capital L, capital O, capital C, capital T. So U-L-O-C-T, so that's Unfound Live October. Capital U, capital L, capital O, capital C, capital T, 92023. If you use that code when you go and purchase either one of those, either the class or the coaching session, you will get 50% off by using that code. So you can go to, once again, how to podcast better than anyone 
www.teachable.com forward slash courses. You will see either you click can click on the coaching session or the course. So if you coach on the coaching session, you buy it. When you go to check out, you put that code where it says to put the code. It will knock 50% off the price. On the other hand, if you choose to take the, um, the course, once again, when you buy it, you're checking out, you use that code, ULOCT92023, you will get 50% off the course, which is five uh, hours, and it starts from scratch on how to uh, start your own podcast, once again, from scratch, where I go through everything. Along the way, I tell you a lot of funny stories about things that I ran to do, all of the mistakes that I've made. So once again, how to podcast better than anyone dot teachable.com forward slash courses. And no matter which one you pick, if you use the code that is on the screen, and this is for everybody, that's why I'm being very uh, precise about this because a lot of people listen to this show as a podcast without seeing the video. If you use the code ULOCT, those capital letters, 92023, so capital U, capital L, capital O, capital C, capital T, 92023. If you use that code, you will get 50% off either the coaching session or the course. Now, for the coaching session, you buy it. I, of course, will get a notice. I will contact you. Then we will schedule a time to talk on the phone. I will record it. And then I will send you the file afterwards so you can keep it, uh, keep referring back to it as you continue your podcasting journey. So there you go. If you want to check that out, I hope you will. That code is good until this Friday at noon Eastern. All right, moving on. Let me see what everybody is uh, saying. Uh, uh, yeah, Carrie did a candlelight vigil this past week for Dana Bruce. Um, yeah, it's the banner. Thank you, Hazel, or the bottom banner. Yes, they also call it an overlay, but thank you, Hazel. It's also called a banner. Um, so if anybody's interested, take a look at that banner. And, uh, Hazel, how about a bonus lesson? You don't want to take any disc golf lessons from me, Hazel. I am a way better podcaster than I am a disc golf player. It's not even close. I, I should not be giving disc golf lessons to anybody. All right, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about this episode from this past Friday. The disappearance of John Spira, S-P-I-R-A, in which his sister was the guest. So what did the poll say? What did everybody in the uh, discussion group on Facebook have to say about this? What did the poll say? So uh, it was a very simple poll question. It was who caused John Spira's disappearance? And I gave the choices of Dave, Suzanne, Dave and Suzanne together, someone else, or John himself. Most popular choice was Dave by himself with 40%. And then uh, at 30% of the answers were Dave and Suzanne together. And then at 20%, coming in third place with 20% of the vote, 
was John himself. So John caused his own disappearance. As for the think tank, uh, think tank is patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to be involved there, of course, you can read the unfound blog. You get uh, access to the found series on there. Get a little bit easier access to me. Uh, you can get into the very, 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 very private think tank group on Facebook. If you sign up at the $12 a month level or above, but in the think tank uh, that I conduct every Sunday evening, and it was a little bit different this week. We had a little different format. I'm not really going to go into that. I have to tell you, it was kind of 50, 50 between Dave and or Su- Dave and Dave or Dave and Suzanne causing John's disappearance and John causing his own disappearance. It was really 50-50 on that. And for the blog that I write, uh, where eventually at the end of the blog, I write at least 3,000 words for that blog. So I really put some time into it. I usually do like 1,000 words a day on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I'm going to be honest with you that I think that John caused his own disappearance. I know that's in direct conflict with surely what, what Stephanie thought. You could kind of read between the lines of the interview that I did with her. It's, of course, different than what the rest of the family thinks. But that's not unusual for me, and I want you to know that is not effect, that does not affect um, – my help that I would give them at all or any other guest who has ever been on Unfound. In fact, very often I disagree with the guest theory about what happens. That is not unusual. And I want you to know that never affects how much I want to help them ever, ever. So, um, so, yes, I guess I'm in conf- uh, conflict with Stephanie, but I thought she did a fantastic interview. Uh, you can kind of tell when a guest has been interviewed before. You, I think everybody could tell uh, that she was certainly uh, a very seasoned guest uh, talking to a lot of media over the last 16 years. Um, and I completely understand um, – You know, I really can't blame I, – I don't think it's – I don't think it's crazy to think that John was murdered. Certainly not. It just, for me, the way the facts line up is we've kind of seen this before, maybe in a few of disappearances that Unfound is covered, but many that Unfound is not where a lot of people think it was murder and then it doesn't end up to be. So just how John Spira's disappearance, the guy, in my opinion, had a lot going on. A lot of stressful, stressful stuff going on. And as I continue to say, disappearances are about people, not about circumstances. So if you'd like to read or listen, I do a recording of the blog, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. All it takes is $2 a month to at least read the blog that I write every week. If you'd like to see what's going on inside my head. But if you'd like to sign up at the $5 a month level, that gets you a few more things. And then the $12 a month even uh, gets you more in that. I hope that you will check it out. All right. Moving on to um, some other things. 
Uh, remember, it seems like I was just on her show. But uh, this Thursday, I will once again be getting together with Dr. Teleska. I don't, I don't know where the weeks go. I don't know where they go. But she and I will be getting together again. Of course, it was really just a couple weeks ago. But this Thursday, um, I will be appearing on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice YouTube channel. By the way, we had a fantastic showing. I mean, a lot of people watched uh, the September show, and um, I think it had like I think it has like six hundred views or something like it now for the, their channel, which I think has seven to hundred to eight hundred subscribers, something like that, to get six hundred views for a show. I, that's really really good. So I think uh, obviously a lot of that had to do with a lot of you who tuned in. So, um, that really made me feel good. So I hope you will do that again this Friday or this Thursday at 7 PM Eastern. I will be appearing with Dr. Telesco and we will be doing, um, of course I will be doing most of the talking. I will be going through the anatomy of a disappearance. So what exactly is a disappearance? What goes on? What are the investigation steps? What are the mistakes that are made? It's, it's kind of a, um, it's what you'll get Thursday is kind of a simplified, shorter version of the presentation that I do to students at schools. Um, but what I'm going to do on Thursday is I'm going to put myself at the center of this discussion and looking at it as if, what would happen if I were to go missing? All right. So, and I'm setting it up by saying, okay, I'm supposed to do Dr. Telesco's show on Thursday, but I don't, I don't uh, click on the uh, Zoom link at a quarter till seven on Thursday evening. I don't show up for the show. I don't text her. I don't call her, which of course would be very unusual to let her know that I wasn't going to show up. She tries to contact me. I don't show up. And maybe even come Friday, the episode doesn't come out because I haven't set it up for it to be released at 2 p.m. Eastern. How would that all develop? What would be the steps that people, somebody, people would go through to the point that somebody would eventually file a missing persons report on me? And so we're going to look at how disappearances are reported on and investigated by using the example of me going missing. This should be very interesting. I already have it written out. I've already gone through it. It's already done. The outline's already done. I'm already prepared for Thursday because that's just how I am. So um, that's what we're going to be doing on Thursday evening. Of course, in the process of that, I'll be talking about the mistakes that get made. Why do police not take these seriously? And if we have time, I will then eventually get into some disappearances that have been solved and why they got solved, how they got solved. So I hope you will tune in on Thursday evening. Please take time out of your uh, busy schedule to do that. You should know every time I do a show with Dr. Telesco that um, I uh, – you know, I, I can't go to trivia on Thursday. They just happen to be on the same day. And um, 
So I, I always miss trivia when I have, doc, have to do Dr. Delisco show. Of course, I get to do trivia all the other Thursdays and everything, but it is weird that they are on the same day. And by the way, my trivia team is absolutely kicking butt. We won, we won again this last Thursday, and we completely destroyed the rest of the teams. There's like almost 30 teams there at trivia, and we just completely destroyed them. And there were only four of us in our team on Thursday night. It's really crazy. So uh, Thursday, once again, 7 p.m. Eastern, please tune in on YouTube. Fischler College of Education School of Criminal Justice channel. Myself and Dr. Telesco. Uh, Marty says, I may have to check out the course. Please do, Marty. Everything says that she believes uh, John was murdered at his office by his partner. That's a very popular uh, idea. Marty says uh, that he believes John is responsible for his own uh, disappearance. Rockford says it was a freewheeling think tank yesterday. Always enjoy it. I tried to switch it up. We're going to probably do that again sometime in the future, Rockford. Uh, just depends on the disappearance. Um, and I really don't have a time to explain it to everybody else. But if you want to know what Rockford and I and Marty and some of these other people are talking about, you should be in the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, yeah, we missed you, Marty. Uh, Lisa, Ed, why do you think someone was taking down the billboards about John's disappearance? Any idea on who did that? Lisa, this came up. Uh, in fact, I think it was Rockford himself. who was also in the chat tonight who asked me this. You have to remember something, Lisa. Signs, flyers, posters getting ripped down is common. Not unusual at all. Not not unusual. It's so common that I would say it happens over 50% of the time in disappearances. Now, granted, a lot of families don't get to the point where they're printing out huge banners or buying billboards or anything that like that. But you have to remember that going back to like Nico Lisi's disappearance, that was like five years ago that that episode came out. You go back and listen to it. His mother talked about she was out there putting flyers up in the Franklin, Tennessee area. And as soon as she would put them up, they were getting ripped down, even though Nico wasn't even from that area. Remember, he was from New York. And does everybody remember how the signs got torn down for Tom Brown's disappearance as well? And what did we find out? The person who did that surely had nothing to do with Tom's disappearance. In fact, it was somebody who nobody would have even res- even suspected. But when the guy was caught, he was some like old guy. And the reason he tore him down is because he may- thought it made Canadian Texas look bad. Go back and check it. You can Google it. I talked about it when it happened. Not unusual. And then even when we look at Jody Husentrude's disappearance, uh, the people who run findjody.com raised money to put a billboard up in uh, Mason City, Iowa, and it got vandalized. This is common. So it really now, the fire, this is something that I would need to know a little bit more about arson uh, statistics in that area. But signs getting stolen, flyers getting stolen, ripped down and everything else, not unusual. So... Remember that. This is one of those things that, to me, the common person overreacts to it. 
Why? Because the common person who really doesn't follow this stuff thinks, oh my gosh, that is so wild. That is so rare. That, that never happens. Actually, it happens all the time. Now, why does it happen? Well, we found out in Tom Brown's case, some people just don't like those things being up. And I will tell you my insight into it. Rarely do I ever think that the suspect is going around ripping the signs down. You have to remember, a lot of these signs that are put up, um, they don't get permission to do so. They might be getting in the way of uh, local laws regarding uh, uh, you know, signs and things. A lot of municipalities have uh, laws like that that really the public doesn't even know about. And police or road workers or everything, they're instructed. You see something like this, doesn't matter what it is, you rip it down. doesn't matter. A lot of store owners are going along, stapling uh, signs like telephone poles out in front of a business. Store owners don't like that. As soon as you're gone, they go out and rip it down. Common. So that's that's my insight on it. Um, so would John likely be still alive? I That's not what I believe, Hazel, but... Uh, Lisa, you are very generous. Thank you uh, for the contribution tonight. Um, Marty thinks that Dave tore the signs down. Uh, hello, Iman. Iman Jones, what's going on? Uh, very interesting topic. Hello, everybody. I'll be listening. Uh, there's a book about a true crime podcaster that goes missing. Haven't read it. Is there? That's interesting. Uh, have... Uh, yep, we hung someone Monday. By Wednesday, a lot was gone. There's Carrie, firsthand experience, assistant Carrie. Uh, when you go missing on Thursday, we're all going to put up fires for you. Okay, thank, uh, thank you, Hazel. I, I hope they don't get torn down. Um, Charlotte says, I think Dave and John's wife killed him and that they were seeing each other. Okay, Charlotte. Uh, there are some towns that don't allow those posters. That's true. So uh, there you go. So... Um, and uh, being that I just mentioned Josie Who's in Truth, I, I maybe want to talk about that uh, right now. There have been uh, a couple things that have happened uh, since last Monday. To me, I'll be honest, they don't seem like big deals to me. But um, first of all, what came out, it even got into like the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom, in the UK – how the story has come out, um, and in fact, it was um, Twinkle, assistant Twinkle. That's I, of course, know her real name, but uh, you often see her Twinkle. Or I don't think Twinkle's in here tonight. I know she's moving, been very busy. She's moving to a a new place, but she had sent me a story about. Uh, you know, the story has come out. Well, it turns out that Jody had some new fling in her life had gotten involved with a new man like right before she went missing. Now, I will tell you, that's news to me. I don't think that that came up when I interviewed Caroline Lowe. When was it? Was it 2019 or 2020? Um, so as soon as I found this out, of course, everybody's, you know, this is like, I'm like, well, this I've never heard this before. So I just messaged Caroline, and she got back to me fairly quickly. And she goes, you know what? This is really not... Uh, actually, this story has been out in the local Mason City area for at least a couple years. 
but a couple YouTubers latched onto it. They acted like it was new news. It's not. And in fact, if you read the articles, uh, and it was the Steve Dodge guy who's a private investigator, you know how I feel about them, private investigators in general. But, you know, he was making it out well, very well. All he was doing, really what it came down to, what I'm saying is, it came down to private investigator has a theory. I'm shocked. And in fact, in the very article that they're writing about, which she had this fling right before she went missing, in the very same article it says the police looked into this guy and have cleared him. So it's not news, despite some people out there in the true crime community making it as such. It's not news. And in fact, of course, they sensationalized the whole thing. Now, the other story, and I think also this is just some private investigator who's trying to get publicity for himself. There you go. There I said it. So then there's another story, recent post at findjody.com. This is also another topic uh, that I spoke to Caroline about within the since the last time we all got together for the live show. And, and I hope all of you uh, are familiar with findjody.com. Maybe you're signed up for their newsletter or something, as I am. And uh, a woman, I think that she had brought this up at the time, but it's kind of coming out again now. She was, I think, 14 at the time. Of course, she's 14 plus 28, however old, 14, 28. So she's like 42 now. But she is once again talking about what she remembers about living in that complex. And she had a story that about a month before Jody went missing, uh, as a 14-year-old girl, she was coming back from school or something, and she actually saw a guy hanging out like on the back side of uh, the building where Jody lived. I think it was building C, I think is what it is. And she had never seen him before. She felt it was a little suspicious being that he kind of was standing, you know, hanging out in an area and people usually didn't hang out in that apartment complex. She did not recognize him. And she was on her way home. She lived in the complex. And the guy, the way she described it, tried to engage with her. I don't know if he was – I think she certainly believed that this guy was trying to abduct her. And so he was trying to get her attention. He was saying, hey, little girl, hey, come here. And she ended up running the other way. And I guess he chased her. I don't know if he was into a full run or whatever, but he was trying to get her attention. And she made it to her apartment, got inside, locked the door, like watched through the window to see if he came by. He didn't come by. But this is something that happened in that, in that complex just a month before Jody went missing. The girl, uh, the woman now, as a 42-year-old, states that she did not remember seeing this guy before. She does not remember seeing this guy after that day. But she did think it was weird, and she admits that when Jody went missing, she did think back to that guy. Could he have had something, being that he was standing like behind the very building where Jody was living at the time? Um, most importantly, he does not fit the description of anybody who, 
um, you know, has been a suspect over the years from John Van Sice or, or anybody else. Um, so that is interest interesting. Um, I have to tell you, and I told this to Caroline, now you should know Caroline. I would say that we, I wouldn't say that our uh, theories about Jody's disappearance are the same. But I have to tell you, I'm not sure what to – I will be honest. I don't know what to make of this girl's story, to be honest. Um, we know how people like to infuse themselves into disappearances. Very what it could have been. This guy was completely harmless. I don't know. But on the other hand, this would kind of fit into what my vision is for Jody's disappearance. In that this was somebody who was obsessed with her, had um, seen her on TV, figured out where she lived. I mean, her name, her name and address was in the phone book. Remember those days? And so it would have been very easy for someone who was obsessed or became obsessed with Jody to go hang out, you know, hoping to catch a glimpse of her, hoping to talk to her. And things go really bad from there. So I guess conceivably, this kind of does go with my theory. On the other hand, I don't know what to make of this girl's story. On the, you know, on the other hand, I don't, I don't. My my experience tells me. I told Caroline this. I'm not sure what to make of that. So that's the other Jody Houston Trude story that has come out recently. First, the one about her having this fling with a guy. Um, but like I said, that guy has been cleared. And then this girl in the apartment complex who's talking again about what she experienced in that complex just a, a month before uh, Jody went missing. So uh, there you go on that. And um, I, I, as I think I even stated last week uh, or recently on Unfound Live, that Jody Husentrude's disappearance, it, it, covering it finally in what was that? Was that 2020? Must have been 2020. Uh, with Kevin Caroline Lowe. Of course, Caroline Lowe has actually appeared on Unfound twice. She appeared, uh, well, no, technically, yes, she has twice. Yes, she's been on there twice. Uh, so I'm really talking about the second time. Um, it was really full circle for me to be a follower of Jody Houston Drew's disappearance um, way back in the day when the internet get start, got started to then all those years later to have Caroline Lowe on talking about Jody's disappearance really come full circle for me. And that's still the way I feel about it every time any Jody Houston Trude news comes up. All right, moving on. I want to talk a little bit. I'm not going to read this entire story. Uh, what's everybody? Um, and he was in here flat with her that morning, I believe. Thank you, Karen. I'm not sure what you're talking about, everything. Uh, I want to talk about this story from Pennsylvania, my former home state, about this gold story, about how these guys uh, were looking for gold that allegedly got lost during the Civil War. And they thought they found it, and the FBI found out about it allegedly, and then they went in and 
These guys are now thinking that the FBI went in and stole this gold that had been buried somewhere. And maybe you remember me talking about this. I don't know if it was earlier this year or last year when this kind of became public. Well, now here's a follow-up story, and I'm going to add some uh, commentary to it, of course. Penfield, this comes from Penfield, Pennsylvania. I've never been there. I think it's where in the middle of the state or eastern Pennsylvania, certainly not in western Pennsylvania. In the heart of Pennsylvania, Elk County, Eric McCarthy and his client, Don Reichel, got up before sunrise to scour the forest floor for so-called brown gold, a rack of freshly shed antlers to add to Reichel's collection back home. One hill over, a team of FBI agents were also hunting for gold, the metallic yellow kind. The FBI's highly unusual search for buried Civil War era treasure more than five years ago set in motion to dispute over what, if anything, the agency unearthed in an ongoing legal battle over key records. There's so much intrigue that even a federal judge felt compelled to note in a ruling last week, the FBI may have found the gold or maybe not. Now two witnesses have come forward to share with the Associated Press what they heard and saw in the woods that late winter morning, raising questions about the FBI's timeline and adding plot twists to a saga that blends elements of legend, fact, and science, and a heavy heavy dose of government secrecy. The FBI insists nothing came of the March 2018 excavation in Dents Run, a remote wooded valley about 110 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. Never been there. So that's getting like toward um, like the center of the state northeast. I mean, we're getting near state college where Penn State is. But a treasure hunter who led FBI agents, FBI agents to the hillside where an 1863 gold shipment might have been buried is challenging the government's denials. How could the dig have come up empty, he asked, when the FBI's own scans showed the likelihood of a buried metal mass equaling hundreds of millions of dollars in gold? McCarthy, a 45-year-old elk guide, had never met treasure hunter Dennis Parada, but he watched from afar as Parada took the FBI to court and told his story in the media. McCarthy recently decided to share his own story because he thought Parada, who spent years looking for the gold before approaching the FBI with his findings, had been treated unfairly. It just felt like I needed to say what I saw, you know? I have no ties to anybody here. It just felt like they were wronged. In an interview with her at a remote hunting camp about 25 miles from Dense Run, McCarthy recalls hearing the unexpected clang of heavy equipment as he worked his way up the mountain in near darkness, a dusting of snow on the ground from a recent squall. Later that day, while breaking for lunch, McCarthy and Reichel watched a trio of armored trucks rumble past. One of the vehicles rode low as if it was carrying a full load. They took something out of Dense Run, McCarthy insists, now something heavy. Uh, I will have you know that I think this is all crap. <laughs> probably, yeah, I think most of you know me by now. You probably, there is no way that you could tell by looking at an armored truck whether there was anything in it or not. And what I would ask, why would just one of the, one of the vehicles, if one of them was so uh, loaded down, why did they not spread the, the, the gold? Why didn't they not spread it out over all three trucks? Why did they put it all in one truck to the point that that one was riding so low, uh, the back end was riding so low to the ground? You tell me. Now, see, I would say 
This was actually a plot point in a movie. Do you remember what movie it was? It was the updated version of The Italian Job with Mark Wahlberg and um, who else was in it? Edward Norton was the bad guy in it. I think Jason Statham was also in it and that female uh, Australian actress, actress, what is her name? She played Eileen Warnos, uh, the serial killer. Somebody I'm sure will come up with that name. She was in it. In that movie, they used that plot point um, that they knew which one of the armored trucks was holding the gold or whatever Edward Norton was doing. They could analyze which one of the ones was low by scientifically looking at it, and they knew that was the one that had what they were looking for in it that they were going to rip off. This is from a movie. You know, and that Italian job, I think, came out like 20 years ago. Uh, CR says the armor, Charlize Theron, thank you, Hazel. Charlize Theron was in that movie. Um, and Donald Sutherland actually was in it at the beginning. Uh, CR says the armored truck that is riding low is the decoy. Uh, it very well could be, Sarah, but who would even think that anybody was checking that? And it would be, um, you know, this is just, it just feels a little too tricky to me. This sounds like movie plot points and not real life. I mean, does the FBI really think that somebody's going <laughs> to, you know, create some heist or something, you know, when nobody even knows what they're doing out there, it seems improbable. It seems very, it's certainly conceivable, but I, it's just almost impossible. So, and plus we have to remember these guys are coming you know, this is five years ago. These guys are just coming forward recently. And uh, could it be maybe these uh, elk hunters maybe think that there's something in it for them? Could it just be that if there is gold in there and they come to this Parada's defense, if it does turn out that there is gold that these guys think, well, maybe Parada, this guy Parada will reward us for defending him and backing up his story and everything. Hey, I'm going to see. You know how I feel about human nature. I'm a complete cynic. So, reached by phone, Reichel McCarthy, 73-year-old shed hunting client, corroborated his account of hearing early morning clatter and seeing a loaded truck on March 14th. Their, uh, their recollections echo earlier statements from residents who told the AP of hearing backhoe and jackhammer overnight and seeing a convoy of FBI vehicles, including armored trucks. Th this is something that I brought up the first time I talked about this story. Uh, does the FBI just have like backhoe operators and jackhammer operators just waiting to be dialed up to say, hey, we got gold up in these mountains? Here's what I think I know. There are no backhoe operators or jackhammer operators getting checks from the FBI. Now, I'm not saying the FBI sometimes doesn't need, don't need a backhoe operator or jackhammer operator or somebody like that. But they would be contracted out. And you're telling me these people who are contracted out, um, you know, haven't got, you know, haven't gone on making up a fake name and going on Reddit or something to say, yeah, you know, I worked on that FBI. Yeah, man. And th that FBI digging, man, they pulled. Tons and tons of gold out there. To my knowledge, that's not happened. 
See, these, this is how I think about things. Even if they, you know, we have to remember that an FBI agent has gone on a different career path than somebody who is working a jackhammer. Jackhammer op operators make great money, very happy for them. But I wouldn't say that they're two peas in a pod. And even if the jackhammer people and the backhoe people signed non-disclosure agreements, how far is that really going to go? Really? So this is one more reason that I doubt that anything was really found. Um, Parada, we have to remember, Parada is a cone over treasure hunting outfit finders keepers. Views the eyewitness accounts as important because they could bolster one of his main contentions that the FBI conducted a secret overnight dig for the gold and spirited it away. The FBI's warrant to excavate the site limited work from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day. The agency strenuously denies it dug after hours, saying FBI police merely conducted nighttime APT ATV patrols to secure the site. No gold or other items of evidence were located or collected. The FBI continues to unequivocally reject any claims of speculation to the contrary. Here's uh, something else that I think is going on here. Um, once again, not to get into politics too much, but, you know, the FBI over the past so many years um, has gotten a lot of criticism for maybe not being as objective as some people would like. And I can't help but think that that might be playing a role in all of this as well. Um, and, and there's something else that occurs to me regarding all of this. We have to think about, okay, so in 1863, this gold, quote unquote, got lost. Are we really saying that no Union soldiers after the war was over, they, they couldn't remember where they put this gold? Really? It just sat there from 1863 until these guys found it in 2018. You know, what happened to the people who actually put the gold in there in the first place? Did all of them just, did they all get killed at, I don't know, you know, I don't even know what battles were after 1863 in the Civil War. Uh, my great, 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 great grandfather got injured at the Battle of the Wilderness. Did they all get killed at the Battle of the Wilderness? Did they all get killed at Gettysburg so none of them lived to really tell where the gold was? I mean, what's going on here? You know, what's going on? Um, I, you know, why isn't the FBI saying anything? Maybe there's just nothing to say. I think it's also possible that these guys with this, uh, you know, treasure hunters, um, how can we be sure they just didn't set the FBI up? You know, the, you know, the FBI maybe doesn't want to admit that they got fooled by something. You know, these guys came to them, hey, we found gold. And then, the, you know, the FBI got suckered into doing this and they go in there and it's actually nothing. How do we know it's that? that? I could certainly then understand why the FBI wouldn't want to say anything because they're not going to admit that they got fooled by a couple of uh, scamming uh, treasure hunters. I just... I call BS on all of this.
all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. And, um, you know, they're saying they could hear the distant hums of running engines. And once again, people coming forward five years later. But I'm, I, I just wanted to talk about it. It's not necessarily true crime. It's kind of going off into Cookville and conspiracy land. But I had talked about it before. A lot of you know that I talked about it before. You probably even saw the recent stories that were written. Many, many stories have been written on it since last Monday. So I thought that I would um, you know, comment on it. If you're not familiar with it, all you have to do is uh, Google gold in Pennsylvania, and you'll get more than enough articles to pop up if you'd like to read them. Uh, CR agrees. Uh, CR Caravans of Armored Cars submitting summiting the peaks of Centralvania in a snowy squall. No. Uh, what's going on might be a far-fetched story. I think it's certainly a far-fetched story. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to make of this. Some, I, I realized that back, what was it? New, New Mexico or Arizona, there was, um, this uh, story about this treasure that was left behind. And there was actually a, a young man who went missing trying to find it. And he was eventually found. He had fallen, you know, into a crevice and his body was stuck there. And these are the types of things that I think about when I, I hear about this story, that people get so desperate. You know, they, they're looking for the, uh, to, uh, you know, they're looking for the X on the map, map like Indiana Jones talked about in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Funny being that, you know, he said, and X surely never marks the spot. Then what happens? X surely did mark the spot. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of those inside jokes for that movie. But, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there there aren't hidden things out there that we haven't discovered. Uh you know, I'm not much of an archaeology founder or, or, you know, I don't take a lot of interest in it. But once in a while, you'll see a news that, you know, some dig in Egypt, they found some new little pyramid or some new little burial site or something like that. So I certainly believe that here in the 21st century, there is still a lot to be discovered about the people who came before us. And I'm even willing to say that out there on this earth somewhere, there might be some treasure hidden somewhere, even more than one. But there's enough going on in this story uh, about alleged gold in Pennsylvania to think that this is all nothing but a bunch of crap. Think. I think. So there's that story. Uh, it's a very long story. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read out the rest of it. You get the gist of it. But if you are interested, I would certainly um, urge you to um, check it out. And if you'd like to email me at unfoundpodcast at gmail or message me on Facebook or or some way contact me one way or the other, you can um, kind of let me in on what you think. Moving on, I want to talk about Adnan Syed, of course, the main topic from the first year of Serial. I want to remind everybody, I have yet to this point ever, I've never listened to an episode of Serial. I think, I think I'm the only true crime podcast host 
in the world who's never listened to an episode of that. Probably, I'm pretty, 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 pretty sure about that. But he's back in the news, and um, I want to read a little bit about it. Adnan Syed, who Syed, well, who was released from prison in 2022 after spending 23 years behind bars following the death of his ex-girlfriend, actually murder of his ex-girlfriend, was back in a Maryland court Thursday, uh, this past Thursday, according to the AP. Syed, whose case gained massive attention following the hit true crime podcast Serial, was released in September 2022 after after a Baltimore circuit judge, Melissa Finn, vacated his first-degree murder conviction in connection with the death of 18-year-old Heyman Lee, um, following his release, Young Lee, the brother and legal representative of the victim, sent an appeal that it wasn't given enough notice to appear at the hearing that vacated the conviction. In March of this year, 2023, the, the Appellate Court of Maryland cited Young Lee's concerns and reasserted Syed's conviction and issued a new hearing, the AP reported at the time. In the interim, Syed was not forced to go back to prison. At Thursday's hearing at the Maryland Supreme Court, this is just this past Thursday, judges considered issues such as whether Syed's murder conviction should be reinstated. They will also consider in what capacity Maryland crime victims can participate in cases of vacating a conviction. According to the outlet, Syed said on Thursday hopes for justice for both Lee's family and his own. We believe very strongly in trying to find justice for Hay and her family, and we're hoping also that we're able to find justice for us too. Side of Baltimore was uh, serving a life sentence after his 2000, the year 2000 conviction for Lee's 1999 murder and kidnapping. At the time of the crime, he was 17. He was always, he was always maintained his innocence, which was explored in the 2014 podcast and later an HBO documentary. Following questions raised in the hit podcast, Side's conviction was overturned in 2016 and he was granted a new trial, a ruling upheld by an appeals court in 2018. However, he remained behind bars, and in 2019, Maryland's highest court, the Court of Appeals, ruled to uphold his conviction and denied him a new trial. The case received a new life when prosecutors agreed in March 2022 to conduct new DNA tests on evidence used to convict him, eventually leading to his release in September of that year. Um, All of you... Most of you probably are being that I'm I'm going to guess a lot of you uh, listened to the serial podcast when it came w- out way back in 2014. Of course, that was two years before Unfound ever started. And I don't know if any of you um, maybe have gone back and re-listened to it. I, I have no idea, but I do know a lot of you have taken an interest in it. I know and a lot of you know more about all of this than I do. Uh, but I will tell you what I think I've said before, uh, the times that, uh, his, you know, the topic of him and her murder has come up. And this may be the third time in Unfound's lot, Unfound Lives existence. This, um, show got started about six years ago now. It's probably the third or fourth time that I've talked about what happened here. I have to tell you the way I've looked at it. I do believe that he killed her. I certainly believe that Adnan uh, Syed killed her because she had rejected him. And there's really not even that much of a doubt in my mind about it. And I can certainly understand why he got convicted. 
And it wasn't even, I mean, the murder happened in 1999. The trial happened fairly quickly, I guess. And he was convicted in 2000. So that's 23 years ago. It's amazing. And then he was in jail for a long time. And now he's out and he's kind of in, um, you know, this, uh, there, you know, somebody say purgatory. Is he going back to jail? Is he going to serve out a sentence? Is he going to get a new trial? What, what is going to go on here? Uh, but between just reading the Wikipedia page on all of this and then reading, I think that I've watched a couple YouTube videos about it. And I've read a little bit about what was going on back at the time. But like I said, never listened to the podcast. If any of you are wondering what I think about this, my opinion is that he murdered her. And if we were to maybe look at this in a little bit different light, if she had gone missing, would any of us really be doubting that he was the one who caused her disappearance? Would we? So uh, my understanding about all of this is that um, – you know, he doesn't have a very solid alibi and the timeline does work out with the possibility that he would have had time to, to kill her and, and everything given what he was doing that day. To me, that's really all I need to know. And I guess that's all the, the jury needed to know back in 2000. So that is my standpoint uh, on the seat. See what everybody is saying. Um, Lisa says, thanks for talking about Adnan. It's a heartbreaking case I followed closely for a while, but missed recent updates. Hazel, I believe Adrian, uh, Adnan is innocent. Haven't heard podcasts, but did watch Doko on case, documentary on case and read up about it. Okay, Hazel. Charlotte, I've never watched Serial, and I do believe he killed her. Rockford Crime Weekly did a marathon series on the case that exposed some of Serial's errors. Uh, Rockford agrees with me. Uh, thank you, Rockford. The evidence against him is overwhelming. And Rockford, you sound like you know more about it than I, than I do. Um, you know, ex- you know, you did the Maryland series and everything else. So if you, uh, we've talked enough about cases to know when you say something's overwhelming, I know it's true. Paul, I think his friend Jay killed her, or was at least accomplice and accomplice Mala. Okay. Agreed, Ugg Rockford. I believe that girl classmate lied for him about being in the library, right? I remember that part of it. Jays, I think he probably killed her, but I don't think they had enough to convict him beyond a reasonable doubt. So now we're like in Steve Pankey uh, world. People thinking that he killed him, but uh, killed Janelle Matthews, but I'm not sure the prosecution necessarily ruled out a lot of other people. Okay, Jay, uh, Julian, fine. Lisa, Bob Ross, Serial Dynasty was great. Now his podcast is called Truth and Justice. I vaguely know who that is. Jasmine admits that uh, she goes back and forth. I guess what you're saying is uh, sometimes you think Adnan did it, and then something happens, and you you start thinking about it a different way, and you change your mind. Uh, I can't, given how it seems the public is split on this, I can't say that I'm, you know, it's not unusual, Jasmine. Rockford, there can be no doubt that Adrian did it, but there can be no doubt. There can be doubt that Adrian did it, but there can be no doubt that Jay was involved. None. Okay. Thank you for that, Rockford. So um, we'll see what happens here. Uh, You know, what I think I know about 
the judicial system is judges in appellate courts usually don't like to change jury verdicts. Um, it's, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, our uh, just judicial system in the United States on any level, state level, the federal level it, are, are all horribly black backed up, especially because of COVID that, of course, made everything much, much worse, and that they're still trying to catch up. But also, uh, I think from a standpoint of it's already hard to get people to be on juries anyway. And if it gets to be too public that appellate courts are overturning jury verdicts, verdicts, how much harder do you think it's going to be uh, to get people to serve on juries? Um, but I think the jury got this right. Uh, as as best uh, as uh, as best as I can tell, but we'll see. Um, uh, on the other hand, if he didn't kill her and he's completely innocent of this, then I I feel really bad for what he's been through over the last twenty three years. But I think he did it. All right, moving on. Um, I'm gonna talk. This was something that I was going to talk about last week, but ran out of time, so I'm gonna talk about it now. This has to do with a defamation case that is, that is uh, happening within the true crime world that has popped up. And I want to talk about it because, uh, as you would suspect, defamation is something that's always on my mind, given the way I conduct this podcast unfound. Uh, we do get deep into the the circumstances. We do talk about the last people who saw the missing person. We do talk about if a missing woman was having marital problems, and we do talk about uh, you, you know lies that seemingly people told on and on and on. And but defamation is one one of the reasons that. We don't do theories, for the most part, on Unfound. There are reasons. That's one of the reasons. That, uh, in, in addition to the fact, I don't like airing theories most, 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 most of the time because I want all of you to think for yourselves. I say over and over, this is what drives me nuts about so many other people in true crime is that a lot of what they do is nothing but theories. And my attitude is, all of you are very smart people. You can come up with your theories on your own. The reason you're coming to Unfound is because you want to hear facts that have not been aired before. Or if there are facts... Maybe you want to hear a little bit more about that fact, and you want the person who knows about it, who's experienced it, usually a family member, what they think about that fact. And when that came to be, whether it was a ping information or video or anything, what did those people think when they found out? That's why you come to Unfound. You do not come to Unfound to hear about theories because you're in a position to create your own theories from the information that is provided. This is one of those reasons I don't argue with people about theories. But what the position you are not in 
is to talk to these people like I do because this is my job. And so this is often why I say the way I conduct Unfound is I ask the questions of the guests that I think you would ask if you were doing what I'm doing. So that's another good way, though, just asking questions, letting the person speak. This is another good way. And of course, me, you know, keeping them from going down the theory avenue to stay away from any defamation charges. And I'm very happy to say that doing the way, doing things the way we do them here, um, I've not been sued by anybody. There has been a couple threats here and there, but um, I like to think that we go about this in as professional, ethical, moral, legal way as possible and really try to present each disappearance in a very even way. So having said all that, Kyle, the defamation case that is involved with the death of Kylie Rodney. Hey, Twinkle's here. Twinkle, what's going on? How are you, Twinkle? Good to see you. I hope your moving is going well, Twinkle. All right, let me read this article. According, uh, according to Chris Smith, an attorney representing m- members of Rodney's family, her death was just the beginning of the family's pain because true crime videos online began widely speculating on what happened to Rodney. There's been a lot of negative attention thrown back their way, and they were thrust into the spotlight when Kylie disappeared. At a moment of intense grief, they had to deal with all of these false accusations attacking them personally and their reputations. Smith says, popular Nashville YouTuber, and I'm just going to out there. I'm just going to read it. Ryan Upchurch was a prominent figure, and I'll have you know, I had no idea who this person was until I read this article. Was a prominent figure in the speculation. And when he posted a video titled Zero Proof of Kylie Rodney's Situation Being Real and suggested that the Rodney case was a scam to raise money on GoFundMe, Rodney's father, Daniel Rodney, and her grandfather, David Robertson, hired Smith to sue Upchurch for defamation. The federal suit was filed against Upchurch on July 28, 2023 in the Nashville Division for the Middle District of Tony's Tennessee and claims Rodney's father and grandfather suffered damage to the reputations, financial loss, emotional and emotional financial loss and emotional distress. According to the suit, Upchurch says in the video, everyone telling me I should be ashamed of myself. How dare you that? Oh, this is faked. Show me that it's real. Show me proof of Kylie Rodney. The suit claims that Upchurch goes on to say, do you realize that you can be a millionaire on GoFundMe by catfishing people with internet deaths? You could do it as fast as look at the Kylie Rodney GoFundMe. It made $63,000 in the past seven days. Upchurch went on, according to the suit, to say in the video, show me real proof of Kylie Rodney existing. Show me anything that indicates that this is real. You can't because it ain't. It's a scam. Uh, they felt powerless and victimized. There was nothing they could do to stop these videos, said Smith. These videos are going viral, getting hundreds of thousands of views on a platform that has 3 million followers. If it sound, I just have to be honest. If you are following a guy that would do something like this, you have a problem. There, I said it. So we allege the videos he was uploading were defamatory. And when you start conspiracy theorizing about real people making up facts that are fake, that's when you can be held accountable. Upchurch isn't the only person sued for posting controversial, controversial videos about real crimes. Earlier this year, TikTok psychic Ashley Gillard, Gilliard? 
was sued for claiming a University of Idaho professor ordered the killing of four students. And InfoWars founder Alex Jones got hit with multiple suits for saying the Sandy Hook Elementary massacre was a hoax. Vanderbilt Law School professor Jennifer Safstrom says that social media companies like YouTube, where videos containing defamatory speech are posted, are not subject to getting sued. So just holding the, hosting the platform is not enough, typically to be held liable. That is because they're not the messenger and they're not endorsing the speech. They're just a conduit. Sad. This is a big deal in social media, by the way, these days, between t- Twitter or X, TikTok, Facebook. Are these companies media companies or what? Safdrum says these types of defamation cases can also be difficult to win, true, because the person bringing the case essentially must prove the person posting the video knew or should have known the things they were saying about people involved in the criminal case were false. Someone's opinion is absolutely a defense, and that is often the defense someone is going to bring in these kinds of cases, and one of the issues the court will have to decide. Upchurch has not filed an answer to the suit at this point, but he's retained an attorney, Cynthia Sherwood. Um, and and Sir Sherwood said they would not be commenting on the case at this time, but this Upchurch felt confident in his defense and looked forward to presenting that defense in court. Smith says he isn't buying the defense Upchurch was merely expressing his opinion on the case. There's a limit to your freedom of speech, and that freedom of speech has to be checked against the rights of the people to their own reputation, their privacy, the right to grieve alone and not be defamed. If we're successful in the suit, we hope it sends a message that just because you all will have a webcam and an internet connection, you still have responsibilities, and you can't just say anything you'd like about real people who have real lives and real feelings, said Smith. I want you to know that's always on my mind every time I do an episode of Unfound. All the time. I don't know if it's obvious, but all the time. And in fact, although I haven't had to do it recently, trust me when I say there are many guests who have appeared on Unfound who would have happily for two hours just completely, completely, completely gone after the person who they suspected in the disappearance. Completely, completely, completely. Now, I can bring this, I'll bring this one up simply because uh, it was solved and the guest ended up being right, but the disappearance, of course, and murder of Andrea Bowman. That was an interview I did very, very early on in Unfound's existence, of course, her biological mother, Kathy Turkanian, was the guest. And, of course, that was very early on me doing this podcast, doing Unfound. And I don't think she'd mind me telling you this. But and it's not obvious in the recording because I edited it all out. But she just went on and on and on about Dennis Bowman. Now, of course, now we know he did kill Andra. But back in 2016... That was still just a theory. And I had it edited out and I had to talk to her about this. I said, I'm not, you know, we're not going to do this. We're not, I'm just not going to let you go on rant, 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 rant about Dennis Bowman. That's not what I do. That was not how this podcast was crafted when I thought about what we're going to be doing here. And also, um, I make a point of having to tell some guests that people are not tuning in on into unfound to hear you rant for two hours. Okay. And, I, and I'm not going to let you do that. People, the public wants substance. They want to help. 
they, of course, in the way we conduct these interviews, yes, they're going to, in so many words, know who you think caused this disappearance and everything else. We don't have to go on rant after rant after rant about it. So this is always in my mind, even though even this past Friday, we did talk about Dave Steuben and we talked about Suzanne, but how is that counter? You know, how is, you know, what is this countered with? We talk about John and we talk about all the problems that he was having money problems, business problems, relationship problems. And so we present a well-rounded picture of everybody involved, including the people who last saw the missing person. That's what we try to do. So, um, as I have written in my notes, but what we're talking about here with this guy uh, getting in trouble, getting sued and everything, this is why I'm very restrictive of opinions on Unfound. Very, very restrictive. But then we have to ask, you know, in within just this article, it names three different instances just recently where this has happened. I think, of course, the Alex Jones one is probably the best known one where he has, I don't know if he's still out there. I have no idea. I know he is. That's about it, thankfully. Um, you know, what are these people thinking? Um, I, I'll give you my best insight into this as a person who is doing what these people are doing with this guy, Ryan Upchurch is doing with his YouTube channel with Alex Jones, just people who have a microphone and have gained an audience and everything. Else. So I'm also one of those people in the very general category. What do I think is going on? My opinion is that the problem we have with media today is that nobody has any what we might call skin in the game. And what I mean by that is up until the 1990s, if you wanted to reach a mass audience with a message, what did you have to do? You had to start a newspaper. You have to, have to print all, all that. You know, you have to go cut down some trees and turn them into newspapers. And you had to, there, there had to be a lot of time and money and capital and a bunch of different people involved. And so because you have to put all of this stuff up front, you can't get that money back and, and all of that back by appealing to, you know, this very, very small audience that we might just say are a bunch of kooks. What it causes you to do when you have to invest a lot of time and money and everything into something is then the best choice is to appeal to as many people as possible. The problem we have today, and I, I want you to know, I realize this as a person who does this. That really, when it comes to doing this podcast, Unfound or doing Unfound Live and having the YouTube channel, I don't have a ton of money invested in all this. Obviously not. You can get a YouTube channel for free. 
Now there are podcast hosting fees and you have to get some equipment and everything, but, but that is so much less than it would have been even 40 years ago. If I wanted to reach as many people as I don't now do with my podcast, you have to remember unfound gets over a million downloads a year. And then you add in all the views and everything on YouTube. Are there more popular true crime shows and podcasts out there? Yes. But for a very niche or niche kind of podcast, we only do disappearances. That's pretty good. But if I wanted to reach a million people or how many, of those, I don't know exactly, but let's say that I wanted to reach 30,000 people a week, 40 years ago. Do you know how much money I would have to have done to do that? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. The problem we have now is that too many people who should not have a microphone have one. And I realize I'm in the United States. I believe in freedom of speech. But when it comes to the dispensing of information and being in a position of, you know, of what me might say authority, unfortunately, anybody can do that now. And this is also one of those things where um, I realize this. And this is also one of the reasons that in conducting Unfound, I try to conduct it the way I, it would be done if I had hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in doing it. Whereas when you really don't have a lot of money or anything, you got nothing to lose. This Ryan Upchurch person has nothing to lose acting like. Now, I may have to lose in a defamation case, but the reason these people do this is that nobody would sink thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into trying to communicate to tens of thousands of people. And then the first news item is how the Kylie Rodney family is ripping people off and making these allegations with no proof. But this is why it happens, because it costs nothing to get attention these days. There, there is no downside unless you get taken to, defam you know, to the court for defamation. This is a huge problem in media these days. Huge problem. I look at it the same way, um, you know, I was around 20 some years ago when digital filmmaking suddenly became a thing. There was the, the transfer from like VHS and um, beta to the first, what we called the three chip digital cameras, like the uh, XL1 from Canon and some others. And I can remember back at the time I was in, you know, around with a lot of filmmakers, independent filmmakers in Las Vegas. And they're thinking, oh, man, this is just this is so going to democratize filmmaking. Now you won't have to put all this money into buying film and these big cameras and renting cameras, 35 millimeter cameras and getting the film developed and everything else. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. It's not going to democratize filmmaking. They're just going to be more bad movies because when people don't have to put as much money into the movies, then they don't care about how many people see it. 
So, and that's exactly what is what happened. There weren't more great movies that came out because of digital filmmaking. It was just, you know, you know it didn't um, democratize filmmaking at all. It just made more bad movies. And this is kind of how I feel. Now, were there some movies that came out that got attention, like at the Sundance Film Festival and everything else? But what I would say is that those filmmakers would have been good no matter what medium they're using, whether it was 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter, 8 millimeter, digital, VHS, beta, whatever. There's more to filmmaking than what camera you're using. It's the same when it comes to media and having a microphone. There is more to dispensing information than just having a microphone and a Facebook and a website and uh, hosting on pod, you know, having a podcast host and everything. There is so much more to it than that. But it still comes down to the same thing. People who are good at doing this are good. The people who are not good, is there's nothing that's going to save them. There's nothing that's going to save them. And I realized that for a long time that within media, there was this attitude, well, you know, there's the gatekeepers. You know, we have ABC, we have CBS, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, and everything. We have to get around these gatekeepers. You know, they, they aren't telling us the truth and this and that and the other thing. I'd like to remind you all of something. Up until the 1980s, and, you know, in the 1980s and 1980, I think the population, I'm just speaking for the United States. In 1980, I think the population of the United States was like 220 million people. Something like that. Now we have like 300. It's been crazy how many people have moved to the United States, how many births and everything else. Maybe it was more than that. But it was in the 200 millions. But for the most of the 20th century, from the first time the TV and the radio started up until the 1980s is when CNN got started. Early 80s is when CNN got started. From like the 1920s, until the 1980s, in a country that ended up having eventually over 200 million people, people got their news from a, a daily newspaper, local news, which probably was like a half hour, and national news, which was like a half hour. In a country of over 200 million people. And still, people were fairly well informed. They knew all about World War II. They knew all about what was going on in Vietnam. In fact, all the secrets of Vietnam were at the government level, not the media level. They knew all about Watergate. They knew all about, they found out all about, about how uh, JFK got assassinated. All found, about when, found out about when Ronald Reagan got shot uh, in 1981. Everything was covered between a daily newspaper uh, a half hour of national news and a half hour of local news. Today, we have 24-7 of everything. Now, would you say that news is better today? Now, th so those gatekeepers, the newspapers, the big newspapers, the big publishers, the big ABC, NBC, CBS, keeping people informed 
We now have today where it seems anybody can be a reporter. Would you say that it's really better now? And I say this as a podcaster who I know has benefited from all of this. The reason I would say is that it hasn't gotten better is because people just can't help themselves. Like Alex Jones, like Ryan Upchurch, like the psychic, like, 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 like they just can't help themselves. There is no filter. There is no, um, there is no, um, penalty. I guess there is going to maybe be a penalty for Ryan Upchurch, but if CBS and NBC and ABC had been doing back in the day, what these people, you know, talked about, they would have been out of business in a year. But today, because it doesn't take as much investment, these people can go on forever doing this. And I would say this not just about politics, about true crime. I would say about this, about anything. As a person in media, that ESPN has made sports worse. I would say that all the 24, I don't care where you're across the political spectrum. I think that the 24-7 news cycle has made media worse. There is a reason that most people say we have more channels than ever on TV. And there's uh, – what, what was the Bruce Springsteen song? Twenty, um, 52 channels and nothing on. And nothing's on. There's a reason. Whereas back in the day, there was uh, ABC, NBC, CBS. I guess Fox came in in the 1980s. Maybe people got cable like Showtime and HBO. And everybody was just thrilled. Now people have Amazon and everything else and nobody's happy. It's, it's amazing. So this is kind of what, um, and there's one more thing that I would say, and this is once again, why I don't do opinions on, um, on unfound is one of the big problems we have in media today is that the people, uh, you look at any, you look at, once again, it doesn't matter if it's politics or straight news or, or sports or whatever else. The people that get paid the most are the people offering the opinions. The people, but the people who are actually gathering the information, for example, with um, now that we have what's going on in Israel and, and the Gaza Strip and everything, those re- you know who's you know who's uh, – how do I want to put this? The reporters are going over there and risking their lives. They're getting paid decently. You know who's getting paid more? The person who's sitting in the safety in New York City who's, who's uh, offering an opinion of it. That person who's sitting in that studio is getting paid more than the person he or she who's risking their life over in Israel or Gaza or wherever right now. That is another reason that media is so messed up. So messed up. And so when I think about this story about Ryan Upchurch and, uh, you know, the psychic and, and everything and everybody else, Alex Jones and everything, this is one of the reasons. I, I don't know necessarily what to do about it, but I know that's the problem. <laughs> so um, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. This article gives... Uh, he gave me an opportunity to go off on this rant for like 20 minutes. And um, 
The other thing about this is that, once again, because anybody, people with, uh, of course, mental issues, people with addictions, people, 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 people with all sorts of problems can come to a microphone anywhere and say anything. And you can't tell me that that's good. Um, let me um, see what everybody's saying, and then we'll have to move on to. Uh, I've seen that video. Ryan is a bully. Uh, Ed, vocal cords. Yeah, my vocal cords are a little torched here today, Twinkle. I have to admit I was doing a little singing earlier. I just couldn't help myself. Thank you for, yeah, that's what's going on with my vocal cords. <laughs> Twinkle noticed. Hazel, you've obviously been cautious about writing from the beginning. I tried it. Scratching TikTok psychic off my list of potential second careers. Thank, uh, good to hear, Rockford. Lisa, I'm glad you share your theories on live. It's a big part of what makes me bring Monday nights and lots of great regulars in the chat. Uh, we know that you can always trust and believe you. Thank you, Charlotte. Ed, Brian, Ed, you do a great job of keeping it real using the facts. Thank you. Brian, what are the guidelines in media distribution? Uh, doesn't seem, uh, what needs to happen in my opinion, Brian, is that YouTube and all these places, Facebook, TikTok, and everywhere, they have to be seen as publishers. That's the way we can get away from all this outrageousness. They are responsible for the, the content on their channels. That's what has to happen. Thank you, Charlotte. Integrity, Charlotte. Lamont at large has 500,000 subscribers. Now he's the YouTuber, does all different kinds of videos. Not Hazel says it's not better now. Too much news for to digest sometimes. Not better, right? Got a lot of time to fill up these days, and it just makes everything worse. Um, too many commercials, overload. You're so right, Ed. Thank you. Uh, Rockford, not saying better. It's just supply meeting demand. It's a more homogeneous genius and divided society now that once it's news and everything its own way, they do. Uh, more heterogeneous. Uh, yeah, there are, there's a difference. Thank you, Rockford. Brian, how many bigwigs never know what's truly going on with this business is just assuming everything's okay. Yeah. So that's my rant. Uh, I hope that Ryan uh, Upchurch gets sued back to the Stone Age, personally. Just like I thought, you know, all these people should, to be honest. All right, let's move on to this Friday now that it's 11 o'clock. We're going to Arkansas. Covered a lot of disappearances in uh, Arkansas, uh, probably because my assistant Emily is from there. Patsy Clark. We're going back to the the year of 1987. I, I remember 1987 very, very fondly. That was a very good year for Ed Denzel, 1987. Unfortunately, it was not a very good year for the Clark family. Patsy Clark went missing from Little Rock, March 4th, 1987. Her son, Dave, is the guest. And not only is Dave, uh, of course, the son of Patsy went missing. He's a very prominent person in the missing persons community uh, in Arkansas. Organizes a lot of... um, Get you know, people getting together and petitioning the government, and very, very involved bringing people together, very involved in the missing persons uh day in Arkansas. And in fact, I think uh, my assistant Emily has actually met him, but he has a mother who went missing in 1987. And what is going to come out eventually in this interview, kind of later on in the interview, is something that I've talked about. But you are going to hear about it for the first time, and that is 
when there's only one person in a family who gives a dang and how everybody else wants it to go away. Kind of really stay away from that usually because you would not realize how many guest family members, they're the only one in the family who gives a dang. But we don't get into that in public conversations because that just causes problems for the person. It's really just going to cause issues, and it's really not about the disappearance anyway. Whereas Dave was more than happy to talk about that, I think, just because in this position that he's in, how he has made this his life's work, being that his mother went missing. So you're going to hear him talk about how and why he's the only person in his family who who cares uh, even to the point where it seems like other members in the family have tried to stop him from trying to figure out what happened to his mother. So Patsy Clark, Little Rock, Arkansas, March 4th, 1987. And uh, that's all I have for tonight. I told you I was going to pack. What, wasn't this a spectacular show tonight? I told you it would be. I told you. So uh, remember, do not forget the code. They're right there on the screen. U-L-O-C-T-9-2-0-2-3. Sign up uh, to get half off at howtopodcastbetterthananyone.teachable.com forward slash courses. I'd love to help you with your podcast. Set up your podcast. Try to fix any problems with your podcast. I think I can really help you. Would love the opportunity to do that. Uh, CR, thank you. Uh, thank you for saying so. Uh, good night, Hazel. Uh, see you, Brian, Lisa. Uh, thank you, uh, Lisa, very much. Nice words. Uh, Charlie, good to see you. Thank you uh, for always making time on a Monday night. Say hi to the kids for me. And Jasmine, uh, right. Everybody have a good week. Keep your heads on swivels out there, especially given recent uh, world events, everybody. Keep your heads on swivels. Don't be a victim. Good night.